Welcome to Get Undressed, the podcast that gets under the skin of the fashion industry. Brought to you by Dressed, the world's first luxury styling game. I'm Victoria Moss, Fashion Features Director at Dressed, and I'll be your host. At Dressed, we want to help style a new fashion era, one with inclusivity and diversity at its core, where everyone can feel represented and at home. In a year when everything has been thrown off its axis, it feels particularly important to reframe the conversation around fashion. So in each episode, I'll be interviewing a luminary figure from the fashion world and hopefully finding out what makes them tick when we ask them to take the dressionaire. We like to think of the dressionaire as a personal and stylish guide to life in all its varied forms, looking at the power of fashion and how it can be a force for good rounding out the belief that to be well-dressed is far more than the sum of your outfit. It's how you live, think and act in the world. It's a mix of questions designed to get them talking and us thinking. On today's Get Undressed, I'm slightly blown away to introduce the legendary Pat Cleveland. One of the first and true supermodel greats, Pat began her career in the late 1960s persevering in the face of racist discrimination and forging an important path which would set a crucial precedent for other black women coming into the fashion industry. In the 1970s, she moved to Paris and became friends with Karl Lagerfeld, muse to Andy Warhol and Salvador Dali. She starred on the runways of Valentino, Yves Saint Laurent and Chanel, to name a very few. She's been shot by the all-time great fashion photographers, from Richard Avedon to Irving Penn, Guy Bourdin and Stephen Meisel. And now in her 70th year, continues to work, often appearing alongside her model daughter Anna. She was one of 100 cover stars of this September's Italian Vogue cover and was cited by Tom Ford as a muse for his spring-summer 2021 collection. High fashion veteran Andre Leontelli has described her as the all-time superstar model and the Josephine Baker of the international runways. Pat, a very, very warm welcome to Get Undressed. Oh, it's tea time, isn't it? It is. It's definitely a cup of tea time here. Oh, I'm so happy. So let's sip it out here and talk about the things (laughs) that make us excited about life because we're living in joyful fashion. What a path, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And how are you? How have you kind of coped with this year and, and what are you up to? Oh, I'm just taking it easy because, you know, there's so much chaos and I just don't want to be eaten up by it. So I have my own sort of like world that I live in and it's not, you know, pushing everything else aside. It's, you know, it's it's sort of like taking it in and making sure that I don't let it affect me too much and staying safe, you know, and, and reaching out to friends to see if they're okay and, you know, kind of keeping up with my Instagram <laughs> to see where everybody is, you know. We yeah. try to make life beautiful by sending nice things to each other, you know, and that's that's a good thing too, you know. Absolutely. And I have to ask about the peacocks because I'm slightly riveted by the fact you've got pet peacocks. Is that right? Yeah, I have 21 peacocks, but some of them are missing. I oh. think they're, 
The babies are gone. I think the fox got them. Oh, tragedy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Brothers Grimm right in the garden. I thought it was a Disney oh. world, but it's more like Brothers Grimm when it comes to nature, you know. So, oh, they're beautiful. They just dance for me. And then when I sit quietly, they sit around me. So those thousands of eyes and those beautiful feathers, and they sometimes they drop them. So I have a house with peacock feathers in all vases. Yeah, it's really inspiring, you know, to know that something so beautiful and so regal could just be natural you know like we're all natural but sometimes we need feathers that's yeah. what fashion is fashion is feathers yeah we're all just trying to be peacocks i guess yeah i think we are trying to show off <laughs> and everything even if you show off to yourself it's okay too once in a while <laughs> i mean if you're locked up you know once in a while look at yourself in the mirror and say oh oh my god i better be a peacock because they're really <laughs> natural when they're beautiful so <laughs> i don't know some kind of philosophy <laughs> that's a great philosophy be more peacock If you're ready, I'm going to go into my quiz master mode and guide you through our dress genere. So there's lots of questions, but answer them however you see fit. You can give a long answer, a short answer, however you feel you want to respond. Are you ready? Shall we start? Yeah, is there a clock ticking? Yes. <laughs> Life is like that. Life is in time. Go ahead. I'm ready for you. Okay, fabulous. Did you find the fashion world an easy or a hard place to get into? Oh, my God. I didn't know. I think the world, the whole world is fashion. It's just how you walk down the street and approach things. If you make yourself fashion, then you're in it already. You can start at home in your bathroom, put your lipstick on, reach in the closet. And if you have something to you know, put your clothes on, that's fashion right there. Starting with your underwear, of course. So the world of fashion is not hard to get into if you start with yourself. Did you have a plan B? I always have a plan B. I love the art world. So, you know, I paint and I, I can make clothes and stuff like that because I actually started out as a designer and I designed since I was 15 years old. So I always thought, mm, well, first, that was my first love. I didn't think I would model at all. That just sort of fell into my lap in a way that, okay, I'll just do this. And it started when I started sitting for my mother as a little child and she would do portraits of me. And so that kind of started out with, you know, at home. And I didn't think anything about it because, you know, when you're growing up and you're a young girl, you don't think anything about yourself as being anything glamorous or beautiful. And you look at pictures of glamorous, beautiful girls and you think, oh, aren't they just so lovely? And you never think of yourself like that. And so then one day my mother said to me, if you don't put some eyeliner on you're gonna die an old maid and I said oh my god you know that was the way people were in the 1950s and I thought well I'm 14 15 years old that's already almost old and I was mean, 20 in those days I said okay I'm gonna put the eyeliner on after I watched my mother doing it a bazillion times I copied her actually I'm really just a copy of my mom anyway so I put that eyeliner on with the little point and my mom used to put the beauty mark under the eye and I put the dot and so I put on my school clothes that I made for myself I always sewed up a little skirt or something to wear to school the next day and sometimes I would be fashionably late or they might send me home because my skirt is too short uh -huh. but anyway I did get some attention 
and it was good attention. And what was the question again? Oh, my God, I'm lost. <laughs> well, it, it was your plan B, but it's turned into your plan A. But that that's fine. It's a great tell the story. I love it. Yeah, well, plan B, that was it. I just thought I was going to paint and be hidden behind everything and stay on the sewing machine and stitch away and make clothes for other people, which I did in the beginning. And then finally, when I was discovered in the subway one day by a lady from Vogue, um, she saw me in the clothes that I made, and then it was bam, boom. Oh, they started taking pictures of me and saying, oh, you can pose for us. And I said, well, I can do that because I was doing it for my mom all the time. So I started posing around for this one and that one and making, being in pictures. And uh, I guess it was easier than staying home and sewing, (laughs) (laughs) which takes much longer. Yes. And so who, who would you say inspires you most in the industry? The designers inspire me more than any other part of the fashion uh, world because they're the ones, you know, who get the first, the first taste of what is going to happen and what's going to go into the industry. And if you, you say a particular designer, I mean, I've been modeling for like uh, <laughs> uh, 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 50 something years. So, you know, I think I started loving the ones I saw in the magazine when I was very young, you know, and that I worked with when I was 15. I um, did this fashion show called the Ebony Fashion Fair in America, and I lived in this uh, Greyhound bus for three months, and in the belly of the bus was all the couture clothes from Paris. And the woman who bought these clothes, her name was Mrs. Johnson. And so she would go to Europe and buy Madame Grey and Chanel. And she started out bringing Yves Saint Laurent, the young designer. You know, this is in the early, this is in the early 60s. And she would buy hats from Halston in America and have the American designers like Bill Blass and the couturiers, you know. And so all those clothes, I, I got used to them at a very young age because I did nine shows in three months, one in each city in America. And so I got to wear those clothes and have them on my body. So I got used to knowing, okay, I knew that there was an Yves Saint Laurent and I knew there was a Madame Grey and a Chanel. So those kind of names, you know, popped up and I said, oh, these are going to be my favorite. But then younger designers came around that I got to experience. Like the one who really put me on the map was Stephen Burroughs. And his colorful attire, you know, gave me the spirit to go out. And so he's one of my favorites. And there was Giorgio de San Angelo and Fernando Sanchez, who did lingerie. And then there was, oh, my God, there came the, the young Halston, who was just beginning to pop up. And he um, took me under his wing, and he made very sleek, cut-on-the-bias clothes that were so simple and American. And, and so they took me under their wing, and they became my favorite American designers, you you know, and of course, I worked for Bill Blass and Oscar de la Renta with all of his taffeta and ruffles. And, you know, I worked with all the American designers that were in the early 70s and the 60s. And 
they uh, brought that young spirit, you know, like that dancey spirit. So it was fun to be with them because the shows started becoming, you know, more lively. But then I went to Paris and I, I started to work with Madame Grey and, and I started to work with Chanel and um, Dior. So these designers became my favorites because I was in their atelier and they were fitting clothes on me. So the clothes that were fit on me were made for women that would wear them later. So through all of those designers, you know, I was able to understand how to cut the clothes, how to look at them, how to wear them, who would wear them. And so these became my teachers. So these particular ones like Carl Lagerfeld, when he was just beginning with Chloe, he would fit the yeah. clothes on me and, and turn me into Marie Antoinette. You know, and then I went <laughs> to England and there was Sandra Rhodes and Jean Muir and, and Bill and, oh my God, there were so many and Bruce. <laughs> This is possibly going to be quite hard for you because you've probably had so many. Um, but what's been your most thrilling fashion moment? Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That life of mine has been so <laughs> packed full of excitement and events. And I'm telling you that one time I was invited to go to Barcelona to represent the city of Barcelona by a Spanish designer who brought me into the Olympics. And so therefore, I was standing on the stage wow. at the Olymp Barcelona Olympics, on stage, under the spotlight, with thousands of athletes standing below the stage from all over the world. And the stadium was filled with every political head of each country, the Queen of Spain, the families, and it was lit up like little beautiful um, little night bugs, those little twinkle bugs at night. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And I thought as the spotlight went on me and I was alone on the stage, I thought, how did I get here? I'm not even athletic. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out very slowly and I had to stand there until the back of the stadium, there came the flame runner with the torch, the Olympic torch. And he ran through the crowd and he ran through all the athletes and he came right to the stage where I was standing, right in front of me. And he held the torch to the um, Bozeman who had to take the flame and shoot it up into oh, the wow. palace that was holding the flame. And I was there in that moment. And I thought, am I in heaven? <laughs> How does this happen to me? <laughs> Wonderful things like that. You know, and traveling around the world with Halston, going to China, to the silk factories, being on location and safari in Africa with the lions and the giraffes for the British magazine, Harper's, and having my first Vogue cover, Italian Vogue cover, and working for Valentino Halston and Stephen and doing the Terry Mugler show where I was nine months pregnant oh coming my out of the ceiling like the Madonna with all the <laughs> angels below my feet. And, you know, being in Carl's shows and having this excitement about being on stage with the clothes, the first time ever seen and the audiences, you know, for the fashion shows in Paris 
always so excited. And in Italy and London, it's such a, a beautiful and exciting thing. I remember in London, I, I did a um, show for Yves Saint Laurent and um, Princess Margaret was there and Prince Charles. And um, I came out and after the show, it was sort of like a circus theme. And I was standing in front of these sort of like concave, convex mirrors and I stepped back and I stepped on someone's hem of a dress and it was Princess Margaret. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and we stood in front of the mirrors together and laughed at our images because they were so distorted. And we stood there laughing with each other, holding hands, stepping from one mirror to the other until someone said to her, oh, now you have to go. And we looked at each other and waved. And that was a big moment for me. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, she's pretty f fabulous. Or she, yeah, yeah, she was just easygoing and, you know, and being at Versailles and being with the Duchess of Windsor sitting around chatting and Princess Grace and being on stage with Josephine Baker and Nureyev and, you know, all of these wonderfully Gosh. talented and, you know, these characters, like my muses, I look at them and I think, what a life they've had. Yeah. Stories and... There I am with them. So those are some events and some things. Just a few, a few casual, you know, moments with the most famous people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best work you can have is the casual moments. Yeah, because that's that's the real people right there. You know. Yes, exactly. And what's um, what's been your least glamorous fashion moment? Oh, my gosh. I guess, you know, struggling as a model in Paris and I couldn't pay my hotel bill and they had my luggage in the hotel. So I ended up sleeping on the floor of my friend's antique shop, clothing shop that night. But we made the most of it. We dressed up and we went out in the streets and did pictures in the middle of the <laughs> night in Paris. So you can turn a bad moment into a good moment. There's always glamour. Do you think fashion can be a force for good? Absolutely. It gets you out of the house when the days are not like restricted in these times. It gives you dignity. It gives you hope. It makes you wake up and, and take care of yourself. And, you know, you look and you say, oh, I'm all frazzled. Let me let me repair this. You know, it's like a DIY, do it yourself makeovers. You know, fashion helps you. It, it, it keeps you. It's very important. It keeps you protected. You know, it's like a cocoon. You put your cocoon on and then later you flitter out like a butterfly. Clothes are important. They help you do jobs, the plainest clothes, the jeans, you know. And then you can dress them up with your evening attire on top. It just puts you in a mood. Fashion is a very important thing because it gives people work. You know, these people sew, people sell, people. It's it, like you say, industry, fashion. Mm. And why does clothing matter? matters well it's woven and it's something that uh the fig leaf you know the toga uh, <laughs> the 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 accessories that go with it a crown you know what's a queen <laughs> without a crown <laughs> what's a, a century without a, a look uh, yes. it defines time it, it it gives an accent to what we are you know your birthday suit is just perfectly fine but maybe sometimes People don't want to be seen in their birthday suit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it gives you, um, it, it, you know, it gives you a place to hide. It, you can it, you put on a mask, not like the ones we have to wear today. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can be something else. You know, you can color yourself up with clothing, you know. 
And what does being well-dressed mean to you? Oh my God, well-dressed means you have to have the shoes, you have to have the outfit, you know, and the accessories to go with it. And you, and in the winter, you have to have a whole bunch of layers, you know, so it's interesting when you open the package later. <laughs> you should always think of yourself as a gift because life is a gift. So dress yourself like a package. And when you undo those buttons, make sure it's for the right reason. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and do you have a favorite fashion quote? Oh, this is my quote. I always say, thank God for fashion. Because for a lot of us, we wouldn't even have a life or a morsel of food if we weren't producing fashion. So I always, my prayer before I eat every night is, thank God for fashion. Because it kept me alive at one point. If I didn't have all of these fashion friends, when I had cancer last year, they all de donated to my... Um, Instagram fun, my go fun, and it got me, uh, kept me alive. So I always say, thank God for fashion. It's something to do in this life. And it's not, it doesn't hurt anybody, you know. That was incredible. The, um, the funding for your treatment, that must have been such a humbling experience. I didn't know I had so many friends mm. and I was uh, scary to ask for help. But my husband and my son, they set it up and then all my friends, they jumped on it and they helped out. And it was just like such a blessing to know that we have a community. Yeah. You know, like if anybody's in trouble, everybody's like, oh, no, a piece of the puzzle's missing. We got to get that puzzle piece back in here. Mm. Because we're all puzzling our lives together, connected, you know, like yes. if one is missing in the race, it's like horses in a race. If you don't have other horses to race with, there's no fun. Yes. You That's know, so all true. the models came together, you know, all the designers. It was like, oh, God, my heart is just like, yeah. oh, I just want to cry every time because, you know, there's so much love in our community. Yeah, Absolutely. What do you think will really drive true inclusivity in fashion? Oh, my God, you got to open your heart and stop putting up walls and look at the reality of the creation of life. There's all forms, there's all colors, there's all scents, there's all tastes, there's all communities. There's something for everybody. Inclusiveness means expansiveness. Yes. And how much change have you seen throughout your career talk about change oh my god if i'm doing these shows i change a hundred times a day no, <laughs> i even change at home all the time i mean i just get tired of one thing on all the time no if you get tired and stuff change is about change and there's always going to be a change and there's always going to be you know change in politics change in culture change 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 and there should be a song called Change. <laughs> you know, the song is like you go with the flow and, you know, what's popular in music? What's popular in, in what is the movement, you know? And suddenly it's Black Lives Matter and then it's Chinese and then it's Swedish and then it's this and that. And oh boy, I've seen so much change. But nothing is stable. Nothing is ever fixed you know, and it's just like you hope that the strength of each of these things that have had, you know, a push.
prominence or that have had something good for humanity can be something that we can cherish, you know? Like right now, it's like, uh, you know, honoring all the people that have participated in building countries, you know, like over here, it's about the slaves were like just whipped to death to get that cotton growing, you know? And so they created this industry, you know, with the cotton in America Mm. and all the slaves like picking it. Even in my family, I've had slavery picking cotton. Even my mother picked cotton when she was little. You know, that's how terrible it was in the deep south. And you had to come up with a big, you know, five, 10, 25 pound bag of cotton with boll weevils. You could get stung. And, you know, all this horrible work that was forced and mm. now the black you know communities these people were taken out of africa black society you know didn't have a chance and then suddenly people were on their feet and were able to have their own land and home and a family and now blacks are being killed off by policemen and treated badly again and it just seems like some terrible curse just coming up again like poison in the soup and you know, ever, people aren't going to stand for it because, you know, young people love to be in love with each other. Yeah. You know, they're like flower children. They're like blooming and they want to understand the other person and be a part of life. And God created everybody. So everybody should have a chance to be loved, you know, not hated. And oh, my God, inclusiveness. Yeah, come on. You know, hold hands. Do you think the fashion world sort of right now has reacted well um, to the Black Lives Matter movement and to try and, you know, make that more of a, a kind of critical issue within fashion? Well, if they don't, then the whole world's going to pass them by because it's about that right now. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. What's it about right now? Now, some people are slow to get in the bandwagon, but they mm. maybe were not, they may be ignorant to the fact that, you know, these people deserve a chance. People deserve a chance, you know, in, in expressing the beauty that they have within. And there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of inspiration coming out of, you know, what black is, the little black dress, African, Picasso, all these things that have been inspired, you know, like over since I've been modeling since the early in 1965, you know, it has absolutely been some kind of thing watching the roots take hold, you know, like Mm. this is a new, it's like, oh, finally people are discovering a new kind of flower that only blooms every so often, It's that one, that flower that only blooms every 25 years. It seems like that it's a very rare thing, but it's becoming something that, you know, should be respected and honored and it belongs there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of what belongs there. It's part of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I've experienced so many kinds of you know, slam doors in the face. And I remember once I went to this photographer and um, he was very known and he was sort of photographing royals and stuff. And I walked Mm. in and they said, why? And he said to me, why on earth would anyone send me a girl that looks like you? Mm. Oh, and it broke my heart, you know, because, 
you know, I'm all mixed up with everything in me. I'm black, I'm white, I'm this, I'm that. I'm everything mixed up. And then I was not accepted, you know. And, you know, I'm I'm a woman of color, you know. There's a lot mixed up in me that has to be acknowledged as well, you know. And I got that acknowledgement finally and then... I ran with it. I said, this is good because, you know, this represents some people maybe, like myself. Like there's a giraffe in the elephant house or <laughs> or something. <laughs> did you ever, in those kind of moments, did it sort of make you want to do it more? Or did it ever make you want to stop trying? No, nothing. You know, I grew up with, you know, a black society and it was always, you have to do better. Mm. You have to be the best. You cannot settle for not being the best because you owe it to the people who came before you who worked so hard for you to get to where you are. And you owe it to your ancestry. And it's more like that is what keeps you going because, you know, I had to stand on so much pain and so much hatred that, you know, I had to bloom into, like, I couldn't be, like, in the mud all the time. Mm. I had to be like a lotus and reach for the sun and drop those dead petals and, and, and be positive and, and show that, that you can come out of the dirt. Every, we're all coming out of the dirt. I don't know, you know, the earth is brown and red and, and the earth is beautiful. Why would anybody hate people because they are the color of the earth? You know, we're why yeah, you know, we're close to the earth. The earth is beautiful. It makes roses grow. It it makes the food we eat grow. And why not honor that? And I had to do that. That's what I had to do. Yeah. But also I think it's it's what you did is so important because it's it certainly paved the way um for other women to come after you. Well, it wasn't just like by myself that I did that. It's no. Like people but, around me, yeah. you know, like Antonio and Halston and Stephen mm. and Valentino and Eve and, you know, Bruce and, and Terry Mugler and, and Issey Miyake and Kenzo and, you know, and Zandra Rhodes and, and Jean Muir and, you know, all of these wonderful people who, you know, elevated me and took me in their hands and, and really valued me. You know, it's what the people, how people value you. They didn't step on me and grind me into the floor. And, you know, I was just lucky to meet these people. You know, they made me actually, you know, and they allowed me to be a part of their, their life. And we illuminated each other in a way because we, we were going for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that illuminating each other idea. That's, that's kind of the important thing. I think, you know, it's sort of everyone working together. What's your strongest childhood memory? I think my strongest childhood memory is like posing for my mother in the house of Madame Metcalf. Her husband was Willard Metcalf, and he was a famous artist and born in the 18, late 1800s and 1920s, 30s, etc. And his wife, um, she was a Vogue editor, and um, we stayed at her house in Connecticut, and my mother would paint her grandchildren And my mother one day said to me, I paint their children and I must paint you now. And so we'd go into the house there and and upstairs, past the room where all of these photographs were of Nijinsky and and, uh, 
Isadora Duncan and Helen Keller and, you know, these people that were in the life of my godmother. And I remember going up those stairs and sitting for my mother on the bed. And the first time I remember posing was sitting there very quietly and the birds chirping and watching her peek from behind the easel. And I would open a book and look at the book and look at her. And that was the first time I ever really felt something that I was very useful to someone in that same way. So posing for me was always like, you know, I, I'm receiving all this love and and I am needed in this moment, you know, I'm useful. They need the model, you know. It's like that thing in the clay before you, you put the clay on it. It's the, the pillar, the foundation, like a, another human being, you know, like they need that. So I always felt from my modeling, it was like, I felt this is something they need to reflect the light, lights on, and this is something they need to fill out the clothes with life, you know. Yeah, so, the piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I guess I was just in there, you know, helping to illuminate their fantasies. <laughs> and what do you always forget? What do I forget? I always forget about, um, you know, everything for me is not uh, physical. But I always forget about the pain. Uh, when I was very young, I fell and um, I was a cripple for like a year. And I always forget about that because that was so painful and I thought I'd never walk again. And that's why I love walking on the runway. Because I've been given the gift of movement. And I want people to know that any little thing you can do you know, that brings you to life, you have to respect it and honor it and be grateful for it. You know, I'm just grateful that I, I'm not paralyzed. <laughs> I was in a wheelchair and I had to learn to walk again. Wow. So uh, that's part of why uh, I walk with such happiness. Yeah, you definitely do. Absolutely. And what makes you happy? Oh, you're making me happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just that we're alive and I hear your voice and you are so articulate and it sounds pretty to me. It sounds oh, beautiful. Good. <laughs> and I love, I love writing also. I love hearing sounds, you know, that are so like sacred sounds. You know, that's something I love. I like meditating and stuff like that. How would your family describe you? <laughs> well, I have my husband and my daughter, Anna, and my son, Noel, and I, his girlfriend and my daughter's boyfriend and my little grandchildren, my grandson, Luca. And they love me. <laughs> so they love me and they like that I cook good vegan food and they like that I play for, with them. And sometimes I play my hand drum or I do paintings or do something, dance around the house. I sing a lot. And um, it's just, they like me because I like to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they would say that I'm playful, I guess. <laughs> do you always feel confident? Do I always feel confident? Well, I don't, I don't like when people talk down to me or anything or try to, you know, make me uh, do stuff that's not right or... And then I, my confidence comes in and I think, you know, I don't need to be treated like this. And then I feel confident that I know what I, I should be entitled to 
and so then my confidence rises and not only for myself like if I, I I'm really terrible at this I would get into such trouble because if I see somebody treating someone else badly I have a tendency to step in between the bad person and the person who's being treated badly and I always end up putting the bad person in their place like get away don't do that you who do you think you are and I have confidence with being in that position sometimes, which could get me into a lot of trouble. I did that once in a show where this girl was bullying a young model and being very arrogant with her. And I stepped in because the young model was crying. And I stepped in and I said, how dare you do that to her? And um, <laughs> this is a funny story. <laughs> and everybody was so happy I did that. And it's a really bad story, I have to tell you, but it's a really <laughs> bad story. It's something I did. So I was standing up for this model, and all the other models who had a kind heart would like say, Yay, good, I'm so happy you did that. So I went out on the runway, and this other girl who was the bully was supposed to follow behind me in an Indian file where all the girls line up and come in a file. And she didn't do it. She held back, because that was the finale. So I was out there in the stage by myself wondering... Where is she? And she gave me such a dirty look. So when she finally get, got near me on the stage, I bumped her off the stage and she <laughs> fell into the audience and I was fired. <laughs> so, that was a bit of confidence right there. I was never hired by that person again. But it was a good moment. Cause good for girl, you. All the girls were so happy. They said, she's really terrible. I'm glad she did. But I lost out on that. So I have to be careful with my confidence in that, in that respect. <laughs> a girl can get killed. You could get really oh. into trouble. You know? <laughs> I'm so sorry I had to tell you that. But I love that story. That's deep in my heart. I just, <laughs> in my soul, like, uh-oh, I made a boo-boo. <laughs> yeah, standing, standing up for people is never bad, I think. And you have to stand up for yourself, too. Yeah. Because, you know, like if you get in a booking and uh, you're out in the middle of the desert and the photographer decides that he's going to have a temper tantrum, and put everybody at risk, you have to stand up and say, no, you're going to do this picture and we're going to go home alive. <laughs> I've had to do that several times, too, because you don't want the lion to eat you up while you're posing by a bush. Heck, we got to get the heck out of here. Hurry up. <laughs> Take the picture. Yeah, when you have to tell your boss, get it together, man, like we have to do here in America right now. What the heck's going on? Yeah. And what makes you feel vulnerable? Oh, my God, if I have my clothes off and it's freezing cold. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you do those shootings and you're doing summer clothes in the winter. Yes. Oh. And that's when I feel most vulnerable. And then you get sick and you catch pneumonia and you almost die. So I don't think people are doing that stuff right now. They're trying to stay alive, stay safe. You know, I feel most vulnerable, you know, if a photographer throws me in the ocean and there's you know, stay in the water and you see the fin coming at you. That's what I feel. I used to work for Guy Dan, and he would like do these shootings oh, I bet he would. In, in England, like in the North Sea. Oh. Go out there and put me on a pole in the middle of winter and say, now stay there. <laughs> and I felt very vulnerable then. I bet. <laughs> and what song always makes you dance? Oh, my God, what makes me dance is if I get out in the fresh air and I just see the clouds and 
passing by and I hear the chirping birds and I just wake up early in the morning, the sun comes out, I just start dancing. Nature makes me dance and, you know, I like to hear certain instruments like I play the handpan drum. It's like a steel drum. I like that music because it sounds so exotic and Mm. drums. I I play a drum also. I play not, I play Indian tambura and, you know, meditative instruments like the tamburo and the tambura and the handpan. I play those instruments and a little bit of guitar. And I like to dance, um, when I hear soul music like James Brown and, you know, I like funky sounds, you know, I like, uh, I like John Legend and I like, I like all of these people like, you know, that are happy when you feel happy. I like that song. And, yeah. <laughs> happy dance tunes, any disco music, you know. Yes. Uh-huh. Staying alive, <laughs> staying alive. That's the song you have to sing now. But you know, any kind like because I'm in the studio. I'm in the Studio 54 exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum, and I just went the other day, and they had this poster of me that's five stories high. Oh my god! And I freaked out, and it's in a Zandra Rhodes dress, a golden dress. Yeah. And the museum was closed, and just for me and my family to come in. So I felt like the Queen of England I had the whole museum to myself, and they had the disc music on and I was dancing around to the exhibition and some of my clothes are in there. Zandra Rhodes dress is in there that she gave me a long time ago. Fabulous. And Halston. Tell me about what was it like when you walked into studio with all your friends? Oh my god well you know I was there at the beginning with Steve Rubell before he opened it so he had me come in there like because I knew him before and um, he always said I'm going to have the best club in, in, in the world and you know we had been going out to all these clubs and everything and then one night Stephen said Steve Rubell said I'm going to take you now you're going to come out to my club and nobody he said I'm just opening it so we, we went over there and we went through the golden metal doors and it was like in this studio that used to be a TV studio but he yeah. turned it into a disco and he took out all the chairs that were for the audience made a dance floor out of it and it had these lights coming out of the ceiling swirling lights like those police lights but they were long and very phallic looking coming out of the ceiling and when you were dancing they'd come down in between everybody so the lights would be jeering around it the music and they were like these bal- golden balconies going up two stories three five stories high and so you could stand up there and look down at the dance floor like little dots of people dancing and he said oh you have to bring your friends so one night <laughs> I was like at home like really lonely in Halston he had called he says do you want to have dinner at my house and I said well listen I'll come over so I went over to get him and he said oh we're gonna have dinner I said well after dinner I want to take you somewhere so I took Halston to Studio 54, the very first time he ever went. Ah, amazing. And he said, I can't dance. I said, yes, you can. (laughs) And we ended up dancing all over the place by ourselves with Stephen that night. Nobody was there. And he says, I'm coming back here. I'm going to bring all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That that broke it for him. He totally changed after that. He was going out every night. (laughs) (laughs) Because you could go there because people dressed up, actually. You yeah. could put on your very best clothes and not have them ruined. Like you would go to some other clubs and everybody was all sweating. And they were only into dancing, but not eyeballing the clothes. <laughs> I call it eyeballing the clothes. 
But there you could dress up and be seen and still have a good dance, you know. And have everyone admire your outfit and not... Not ruin it. Not by ruin it, not close. spill. Yeah. yeah, don't get too close, don't spill. <laughs> <laughs> That's Amazing. the danger of dressing up, you know, spilling. It's the worry. <laughs> it's the biggest worry, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> oh, but... you don't so there you could wear your nice clothes and dance and nobody would spill on you. It's fashion, fashion respect at studio. Fashion respect because <laughs> you want them to last at least a hundred years if you get your hands on a beautiful piece of clothing. Of course. Well, my clothes are pretty old. They're in museums. Sometimes I go to the museums and I see my clothes and I think, oh no, it's behind glass. What, why? I want to wear that today. <laughs> and I, I still fit into all my clothes. Really. Thanks to the couture cut I had from my colon cancer, <laughs> the couture cut. But um, yeah, everything fits and I wear my old clothes like they're new, you know, respectfully. Some of them Wonderful. have lasted over past half a century. <laughs> um, um, what's your favorite room at home? My favorite room is my studio. Because I can be creatively messy. I have tables decked out with art books and clothes hanging. And Well, I have a giant tree in my studio. So that's my friend. And I have staircases wow. going up. to. I have like two studio spaces. One where I write. It's upstairs in like a little loft that connects to the downstairs one. And the floors are splattered with paint. And I have an easel and wall that I work on with my canvases. And I don't work very small. I work large, 48 by 48. And I make paintings, and I love being in here because there's so much light coming through the skylights, and it's it's on the south side of the house, so I'm in here all day trying to make something. I'm like a little elf, you know, and I'm <laughs> trying to spin gold. And then I have on the other, the north side of the house, I have a studio there where I sew clothes, and I have, you know, the mannequin, and I, I make the clothes on my body, and then I have these clothes that I... I just love, you know, making stuff because mm. that's what you do at home. You make your food, you go in your studio, then you go in the other room, make something to wear and come back and eat and go, <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> I call it the hamster wheel because <laughs> I have one staircase that goes up on one side and then I come down the other side. So that's my exercise around. while we're in the uh, closed down lockdown. <laughs> um, and are you a morning person? Oh, I definitely am. I get up at three o'clock in the morning. I must be possessed. What? Three? Yeah, because that's I not the morning. That's the night. Well, I have to beat the morning. I like to be on time, you know. That's one of the things I do. I am always on time if I can help it. I like to get up early because it's very quiet and nobody's telling you anything to do and nobody wants to bother you. And you can kind of get into your body and, you know, feel like I'm part of the universe. And then you can go and look at the stars and then you up earlier than the sunrise. So you still feel like you've been up all night. But you, you know, you're it's you're you're ahead of the game in a way, you know. And, what time uh, do you go to bed if you're getting up at three? Um, I cut it off like at eleven or twelve, you know. So and, you don't uh, sleep much. No, I take a nap during the day. Okay, okay good, <laughs> I'm, good. I'm like a cat, you know. <laughs> like um, if you, I'll find a corner. And then I'll just, wherever I fall out in that hour, that's where it is. Because I have a lot of sofas in my house. And I learned that trick from dancers. When I used to dance um, 
at one point I used to dance a lot. And I used to hang out with a lot of dancers. And I'd go to their house and I'd wonder, why do they have so many sofas in their house? Because they were tired and their feet hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd go to their house and the first thing they'd do is like take off their shoes and flop down on the couch. I learned that from them. So I put sofas all over the house. And if anybody wants to hang out overnight, they can always sleep on the couch. So there's sofas everywhere. So I curl up on a sofa and I, I just go out. I just drop out, and I call that my Einstein moment. <laughs> because if you if you get too tired doing stuff, you can't do it well. And if I'm painting and I get stuck in a corner of the painting, and I say, what the heck am I going to do now? Boom, nap time. <laughs> Perfect. And congratulations on turning 70. Um, wow. What has, what has this birthday milestone, what has it meant to you? I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, <laughs> and I feel so good like a teenager, because <laughs> I am a person who gets certain benefits. <laughs> I hope they last. But anyway, <laughs> you know, and I just feel like, okay, I can, I can help other people realize that it's not scary. It's just a beautiful thing. You know, it's like climbing a mountain and looking out. And say, okay, I keep climbing to the other part till you get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and then you look out and you say, whoa, now I have wings. <laughs> you hope you get the wings you need to fly beautifully into what it is you're going to be next. But for 70, I just think I'm seven years old. Because <laughs> you add the zero and the seven. I always add the two numbers together. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is, I'm in my second year of elementary school. Perfect. And I'm teaching myself Sanskrit now. <laughs> and so wow. I can chant better. There's so much to learn, you know, and use your little telephone and pick up on something. Learn something, you know. I'm just trying to be better as a painter and a singer. I, I have a, a tune on iTunes. Uh, it's called Tonight Josephine. <laughs> and it's dedicated to Josephine Baker. My friend Maurice and I put this song together. And it was used in the movie of Bill Cunningham, uh, The Times of Bill. Yes. So my music is in that film, singing. And uh, these are the things I do when I'm not on the runway. I do other little things that bring you joy. And I collaborate with other people who want to do stuff, you know. And then we make something together. It's like we're in the sandbox making sandcastles. <laughs> okay, we've now got the final quick fire round, if you're ready. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. Scrabble or chess? Oh, Scrabble. New York or Paris? <laughs> Can you marry the two? <laughs> New Paris. <laughs> New Paris. <laughs> Minimalism or the avant-garde? Oh, God. I think um, marry the two. <laughs> Yoga or Pilates? Yoga. Running or swimming? Swimming. Diamonds or pearls? Oh, pearls. Grunge or glamour? <laughs> glamour. And grunge. <laughs> both, because you have to have both to survive in the world. <laughs> Studio 54 or La Palace? Both. Red lipstick or black eyeliner? Both. Halston or Marc Jacobs? Both. Walking or twirling? Both. <laughs> 
<laughs> I want it all. I want you it got now. It all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pat, thank you so, so much for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on Get Undressed. Thank you. I think you're just a wonderful person and Aww. I hope you have the best time in this life. You know, keep blossoming and, and let that beauty shine through because that's what we're here to do. You know, just, hmm. Hey, I think I'll bead something today. Anyway, keep your bugle beads in, in your hands and your body <laughs> and, and shine on. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Get Undressed. The podcast brought to you by Dressed, the world's first luxury styling game, which is available to download now from the App Store. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Get Undressed via your preferred podcast platform. Mm-hmm.